This is Bo Buchanan, Arizona Lodge number two, and I'm here sitting uh, and talking on the level with Tom Thompson. Tom, why don't we start out, tell me your full name, your home Blue Lodge, and any offices or titles you have connected to that Blue Lodge. Uh, my name is Thomas Lee Thompson. I'm past master of Arizona Lodge number two. Uh, 20, 2011, I was, past, I was master. Um, I went through the chairs. I was, I was made a mason. I was raised in April of uh, 2006. I was master in 2011. I'm also a member of, uh, well, actually, my job at Arizona number two now is doing education for the new uh, uh, prospective which is how I first uh, met you. Members. I sit down here and listen to you. Right. Yep. And, and that's why I do education to the to the uninitiated. Basically. And the next question you already get to answer, I ask, you know, what other Masonic bodies are you a member of? Right. Um, I am a member of the Phoenix uh, York Rite bodies. Uh, York Rite, uh, a member of York Rite. I'm also a member of the Scottish Rite. And I'm a member of the Shrine in Arizona, El Zariba Shrine in Arizona. You're in it all. Hmm? You're in it all. I'm into it all, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have been uh, in the York Rite, uh, the three bodies, the chapter, the council, the commandery. I've been the head of all the uh, constituent bodies for all three of those. Plus, having been a master of Arizona Lodge Number Two, I am. Uh, I, I was awarded the KYCH or Knight, Knight of York Cross of Honor. Is it Knights of the Red Hat? No, no, no not Red Hat. That's Scottish Rite. Oh, I'm sorry. This is York Rite. I'm sorry. Okay. York Rite KYCH. Uh, is uh, when you've been a master of all four bodies, which make up the York Rite, which is your Blue Lodge, the Chapter, the Council, the Commandery. Oh, okay. okay. Wow. Then if you become, I have not got there yet, but if you become a the head of a grand body in the York Rite, uh, they change the KYCH to KYGCH, which is Grand Cross of Honor, uh, Knight of York, Grand Cross of Honor, which is uh, what, when you've been the head of a grand body within the York Rite. And then the, the jewel changes. You get, a, you get a jewel with a crown. And then if you, if you get uh, the KYGCH, it's a round jewel that has a, a quadrants for the four grand bodies. Of a, of a, it's a colored jewel, basically, around the edge. So you, you've sampled almost everything in, in masonry. Can you remember when you hadn't heard of masonry and when you first discovered what this masonry thing was? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I didn't, I, growing up, I didn't know anyone who was a mason. I didn't become a mason until I was, well, let's see, 50. Wow. I was 50 years old, 2006. That's when I came in. I met a guy that I was working with at the time, and he was, he was wearing a Masonic ring, and I saw that, and I asked him about it, and he said, maybe you'd like to, you'd like to be a Mason. I said, sure. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, because I've known this guy. I worked with him for two years, and, and uh, we got along really well, and he was, uh, he's my mentor. And he was heavily involved in York, right? One of the things he always wanted to be, he said, was was to be a knight, a knight Templar, and uh, he, he got to be that. Kind of a romantic idea around the And in fact, Knight uh, Templar, yeah. this year he is, this year, 2015-2016, uh, he is the Grand Commander of the Knights Templar of Arizona this oh, wow. year, Joe Zito. State, He's my mentor. State organization? State Arizona Grand, uh, okay. Grand York, right? Joe Grand, Zito. Okay. Yeah. 
Grand Commander of the Knights Templar. And you, you mentioned that you were uh, raised in uh, 2008? No, six. I'm sorry, 2006. And was that Arizona number two? Yes. It was, okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was it that drew you, other than your, your friend, I guess, what was it that drew you in and, and got you interested? Well, you, the thing you, gotta, you have to realize is that anyone who is already a Mason, it, they're going to see in you the things that they saw in themselves. And I consider that every time I meet someone who's not a Mason. Interesting. Uh, what they see in themselves, the reason they became Masons, or like the reason I became a Mason, <laughs> was because I have this, uh, I, I have a, I like to deal with people, number one, and I believe in, <laughs> I believe in telling the truth, telling people the truth. I always did. And the person that I my, was my mentor saw that in me because he saw it in himself first. Right. So you can't be a good, even though we don't proselytize and we don't, we don't recruit people, as a Mason, you can see other people who would be good Masons because you know what it takes. Right? That's interesting, and maybe that's why I never thought of it from that angle, but maybe that's why we try to see the best in other men is because we want to see it in ourselves. Right, and and if you believe that you are you are one of those good men, right, then you know what it takes. So you you you're going to see those same kind of things in other people, and and you would know, uh, intrinsically that 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 this person would also be a good be mason. a good mason. That's not necessarily true. Ninety nine percent of the time, it works. Yeah. Um, even though we don't actually go after people, but if, if, if somebody says, "Hey, I, hey, what's that ring you're wearing?" You know, uh, then then you have you have the opening that they they to see if they're interested, and if they're interested, though, they will come and, and become a mason. So, 2006, you're just coming up on. Do you have your 10 year anniversary yet? April. April's your 10 April anniversary. this year. Yeah. One of the things I remember is how I met you was being downstairs as a as a prospective member sitting and listening to you educate us on different uh, pieces of Masonic history or symbols or whatever it is we were talking about that week. Yeah. For somebody who's so new, I guess I didn't know that at the time, where did all this knowledge come from? Did you start learning this stuff before you came Mason or just in the last 10 years? No, it's only in the last 10 years, and I, I just dove into it. Once I, once I, I was in it, I, I realized there was a, a historical background here that, was, that most people don't know about. Most people who are the profane, the uninitiated, that is, uh, only know what they see on television about the Masons right. and what they see on or, or read on the Internet, for that matter. And mostly what they see is the conspiracy theories about Masonry, about the secrets. And uh, the, the idea that the motto of the Masons being making a good man better uh, you don't. You're not made. A, you're not a good man just because you become a mason. You have to live your life according to the precepts of you know truth and honesty and and uh, uh, faith, hope, and charity and those, right. all the things that we believe in. Uh, you have to live your life according to those things in, in order to be a good man. And if you do that. Even though you will run into, believe it or not, you try to be a good person to other people, sometimes you will run into walls. 
you will find people who, even if you're trying to be good, they won't accept it or they won't appreciate it. And, and all you can do is say, well, I'll try again later. For me, that's an opportunity to learn because, yeah, that would that'd be Absolutely. stumbling block and then you can learn from that. Yeah. What, we talk about making good men better. Has, has masonry made you a better man? Oh, boy. That's a, that's a tough one. Yes, I believe so. I, I, I think I, I go out of my way now to tell people, to make sure I'm telling people the right thing, the, the truth. I also strive for knowledge, which is why I became the historian, essentially, of this lodge. Right. And uh, we, we had a, you know, in our York Rite, we had a discussion we we do education in our meetings. We do it in number two. We do it in in New York, right as well. And we uh, we had a a thing in another uh, chapter meeting, uh, New York, right chapter, where we uh, one guy stood up and just asked the question, that question, which is how does how has Masonry made you a better man? And everyone in the in the room basically stood up and, and gave their their answer their answer and it it led to a, an hour long discussion. That's cool. And that was great. So once we did that in Globe, that was in the Globe chapter number seven. The following week we did it at the Phoenix York right down with bodies down here in in Phoenix, and we the same thing happened. Uh, you know we had an hour hour and a half long discussion which. You know, education usually is 15 or 20 minutes, but nobody cared. Not when everybody actually participates. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Participation is what we are always striving for. So is there, thinking about your own time in masonry, is there a man who stands out to you or a mason who stands out to you as somebody who embodies those ideals and who made a big impact on you as a mason? Oh, I can think of several, actually. And what's and this interesting thing about it is a couple of them, Two or three of them are now past grand masters. Um, uh, Bill Gerard is one, of course. Bill was one of my first interviews. Yeah, Bill is a great guy and, and I, one of my, I consider one of my mentors. But um, and another one prior to, prior to Bill actually was another past grand master named uh, Charles Shoup. And Chuck Shoup was the guy. He was the first guy when I first came in. He was the guy who did what I now do for Arizona Lodge Number 2. Oh, he's the... He was the guy who counseled all of the, the pre-initiates, the, the newbies. And he, uh, and he so impressed me with what he was doing. I mean, every now and then I would stay down here in the dining room with him and, and listen to what he had to say. And that's quite, his work kind of drove me to that historian thing in my head that yeah. I needed to find things. And I found out a lot of things in a very short time. The real, you know, uh, what people would say is the true history. Uh, not all of it is great. Not all of it is positive over, over the centuries. Uh, sure. But mostly, I would say, it's positive from the side of the, of the fraternity. But from the general public, you know, a lot of those guys uh, 150 or 200 years ago were living in kingdoms. And the king didn't necessarily appreciate a thinking, reasoning group of individuals. 
Right. You know, they they wanted it done their way, and you didn't agree. They just kill you. <laughs> well, there was a lot of beheadings back then, and uh, and of course, there's a lot of history. I mean, what a lot of people don't know is we talk about the Holocaust in World War II, the Nazis. They killed Jews. They killed they killed uh, uh, gypsies. Well, they also killed Masons because they were another one of those bodies. The Nazis were another one of those groups that didn't want you to be a free thinker. They wanted you to think their way or you were not part of their plan. And as such, the uh, uh, Masons in Germany during the, during the war shed themselves of all the squares and compasses. There were no symbols except one, and that was the forget-me-not, the little blue flower. Which our past uh, master raised to wear one all the and time. And I wear one, too. You wear one, too. On my okay. tuxedo. Um, and it, it's, to this day, if you go to Germany, Masonic lodges don't have a big square and compass on the front of the building. The, the, the most you would ever see on the front of a Masonic lodge in Germany right now, right now, is on maybe on a doorknob. That's all. Wow. If there's no sign. You have to know where they are. And you can contact the Grand Lodge if you're going to visit in Germany, to, if you want to visit a lodge, and they'll tell you exactly what the address is and how to get there. But if you were just a person walking by on the street, you'd never know. So is there, it's amazing. You, you, you've done a lot of research. You've been in for 10 years. Is there anything different about masonry than you expected when you got in? Without giving away I, the secret to Freemasonry? No, no yeah, I, would say, I would say no, actually. I... I, I'm open to all experiences, and you know when I when I joined, I, I didn't know what to expect. Therefore, I was open to whatever was going to happen. Happened. And and we uh, we uh, I, I learned a lot of things from a lot of people. It was one of the reasons why I joined all the bodies. I joined Scottish Rite. I joined the Shrine eventually, um, and I enjoy all of those groups. Uh, enjoy being part of that. So, what, what keeps you? What keeps that fire burning? What keeps you wanting to? Cause it's a lot of meetings to attend. It's a lot of events. What What keeps that fire oh, yeah. burning for we you? Do a lot of events. Yeah. Uh, I, it's not so much doing the events. It's why we do the events. We do it for the new guys. We do it to educate others. That's what all of this is about. Is you're helping to make, you're helping those new guys, to make themselves better. And and that's a that's a an accomplishment that I think every Mason aspires to, is to help the next guy down. You know we we enjoy doing the ritual, doing doing degree work because because we know we're helping the guy make a make a discovery of his own. Good way. Everybody's to own path is unknown to us. It's unknown to him. Until he starts walking it. And that means the first degree. You take that first degree, and then you, you're on the path. And then from then on, you do need the help of other people to get you going. But once you become a master mason, you still need the help of other people. But you know, you know at that point at least where, where you want the path to take you. The path is its own. You, you walk it, and it's unfolding before you, and you don't know, uh, you don't know where it's going to take you. 
Tell me about one of the one of the things I remember about you is the one night you came in and you had this brand new sword that you just hadn't made. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what that sword. Okay, that was uh, it. Was probably the one you're thinking of was probably my commander's sword when I, I was commander was. of my of the York Wright Commandery here in Phoenix, um, the Phoenix York Wright Bodies Commandery. Um, that that sword was at the time I received it in 2006 when I 2007 rather when I became a member of the York Rite uh, it was given to me by my mentor Joe Zito oh really he, it was over 100 years old he got it on eBay <laughs> for less than $100 oh wow well <clears throat> and a lot of families don't know what to do with this stuff after the after the, uh, the the family member who was a mason or a knight templar in this case passes away, and they end up on eBay, so he bought this sword and he he's a collector of swords, of, of templar swords, and I I accepted it from him and um, I had it I sent it back to Ames Sword Company who are still in existence, they've been making swords since the revolutionary after, just after the revolutionary war. And they were made almost all the swords, <laughs> many of the swords that were used by both sides in the Civil War. They, wow. had, they had a foundry in the South and they had a foundry in the North. So you they made Confederate swords and they made Union swords. You sent this sword back to them so they could refer. And they're in Ohio still. In Ohio. Okay. And uh, it's, uh, mine was made in about somewhere between 1890 and 1911. Holy cow, was that old? Yeah. And the name that was on it was a guy who had been a past was a past grand commander of this, uh, Kansas, the grand commander of Kansas. This was his not his grand commandery sword, but his Sir Knight sword, his previous sword. And the, when you first get your your as a Sir Knight, you have a nickel plated sword. It's silver color. Okay, so that's what I was probably showing you. Yeah, because it was very shiny. Yeah. Well, it was either it was either that or it was gold. Wasn't gold. Okay, yeah. that was my that was that sword, and I had it completely refurbished. I remember you had it refurbished. You had told right. me this. Yeah. And when they did that, they took the other guy's name off and put my name on both the sword and the scabbard. Wow. Well, that's fine because I did the history on the guy first, so I have a report back on my computer that I wrote up from doing the research on that guy. So I know that this sword belonged to him. And if I ever give the sword to Got somebody else, yeah. if I ever give the sword to someone else, I will make sure that that report goes with it. So the full knowledge of that was comes from them. But he bought that sword somewhere around 1910. Oh, well, that's cool. And so, but then uh, three or four, four years later, I was commander of my of the Phoenix Air Right Commandery, and I had I sent it back again and had it gold plated. So it's now that's as a commander you carry a gold sword. Oh wow! And into the grand, and now I'm in the grand commandery in the state of Arizona, and uh, I carry that sword to this day. That's so, cool. Yeah. Um, any any other stories you can think of of, of some important times or important things that have happened to you? Any funny stories? Any okay. uh, I have things you remember about a cool visitation or somebody you met? Boy. That's I got I got a million of them, um, <laughs> or even a cool historical fact that you. Well, there was a well there were <laughs> historical fact. Uh, one of my favorite authors uh, was named J. F. Newton, Joseph Fort Newton, 
and he was a, a Masonic author. He was a guy, uh, his father fought in the Civil War on the side of the Confederacy and was, was held captive. He was, he was taken prisoner and spent uh, most of, the, civil, most of the, the, the war between the states in a prison camp in Illinois, in Rockford, Illinois. And uh, he was already a Mason at that point. And the, the interesting thing about this guy is this is, he was a Mason. He went to war. He got captured. He spent the time there, and he was dying in this camp. A lot of people died in those prison camps on both sides uh, from things like dysentery and, and you know, nasty stuff that hit you, influenza, things like that killed a lot of prisoners in those prison camps. This guy, one of the guards noticed that he either had a, a Masonic ring or something. He had something with him that noted, told him that he was a Mason. Told his commanding officer, who also happened to be a Mason, the commanding officer of the camp. The commanding officer of the camp took him, this prisoner, into his own home with his own doctors, cured him of the problems that he had. And when the war was over, he was released, and the commanding officer gave him a gun and some money to make him make his way back to Texas, back home. Joseph Fort Newton was his son, this, this prisoner's son. He would not have lived had that not happened. He wouldn't exist. Right. Masonry saved his life before he even had a life. Wow. He be, now, Joseph Fort Newton was born in Texas, and he became... At the age of 13, he was a, an ordained Baptist minister at the age of 13. He was precocious, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. He couldn't be a Mason until he was 21. But as soon as he turned 21, he became a Mason. And, he, and for the rest of his life, and he lived into his 80s, he was a Masonic author, scholar, he was one of the founders of the Masonic Service Association who, was, who put out these things called short talk bulletins. They publish a lot of Masonic literature. And, yeah. and I found, in fact, if you look on Arizona Watch Number 2's website, under the education page, there's still some stuff that I put on there when I was master in 2011 uh, about J.F. Newton. There's a story on there about Joseph Fort Newton and the story and a speech that he gave at a Masonic Service Association banquet or something, annual meeting, uh, talking about the issues facing Masonry today, which it was like 1921. Uh, and, he, and it was, if you read it, you'll recognize the same issues that we face today in Masonry. I find that when I'm reading Albert Pike's stuff. It, it was membership. Right? It yeah. was how to keep people engaged. It was the same issues that we have now. Power struggles. No, nothing, nothing different. Nothing, nothing has changed. Yep. Nothing, yes, change is fleeting. <laughs> yeah. Any, any closing thoughts? Uh, anything else you want to say or uh, no, just share? A, I think masonry is a, is a lifetime journey. We will do it until the day we fall over, you know. Um, you know, Joe Cortez is a perfect example of that. He was at a meeting with us. At least it was a, probably a month or two before he passed. Um, but he was still there, 
doing the thing, doing everything he could. His name has come up a lot in these interviews. Oh, Joe was a great, was his a great wife, guy. Leilani too. So. Yeah, yeah, Leilani's an amazing human being. They they're an amazing couple, actually, and uh, yeah, but we're gonna miss Joe a lot. So, uh, but that's but that's pretty much how life is. You know, I think we we miss the people that we miss, the people that we've lost, the people that we're close to that we lose, we miss. But what do we do when we miss them? We continue to use their name. We continue to strive to be better. Uh, we, in their name, in essence, you know, we, we want to still prove ourselves to those people, and they're watching. So. Well, thank you, you very much going. for taking time to talk to me, Tom. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Absolutely.